Hey there, and welcome to the Jimmy's Table podcast at jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey. I'm curiously evangelical, politically homeless, and a dreamer of small things. On this podcast, I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. So if you have honest questions, aren't afraid to have difficult conversations, and want to have a little fun along the way, then pull up a chair. This podcast is for you. We live in an age of competing platforms. Someone is always trying to be the loudest voice on Twitter, write the most clickbaity headline that captures everyone's attention, or to set fire on cable news. And in an age of cancel culture, this can be some pretty dangerous stuff. And to this podcast today on episode 137 of Jimmy's Table.com podcast, I'm going to talk about why instead of building a bigger platform for ourselves, I believe we need to focus on building a bigger table. So have you ever thought about it? Why do you ever listen to anyone? You know, why did you listen to your parents? Or, you know, more importantly, maybe, why didn't you listen to your parents? (laughs) But you always gave your parents attention whether you liked what they had to say or not, right? Why Why do you listen to me? Why do you tune in to this podcast? Why did you click this episode? What What were you hoping to hear? Why did people ever give attention to Jesus or John the Baptist? You know, there's an old saying that goes, people usually don't care about how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think there's a lot of truth to this saying. I think while there's definitely a place for knowledge-based experts to have a platform and to dispense their wisdom, and for all of us just to sit quiet and take notes and listen to what they have to say, I think still, for the most part, most of us don't operate on that level. Most of us operate on a level of personal relationships in which we listen to individuals, not because necessarily they're the biggest, baddest, brightest, most knowledgeable person in the room, but instead we listen to people because there's something about them that relates to us or we have a relationship with them in some way that just makes them appealing. And so we're willing to give our attention and our ears to them and to hear what they have to say. But, you know, thinking about this, though, we often do the opposite. Relationships are hard and and they take work and building a relationship isn't usually the best way to get out a message. And we all feel or know somebody that feels they have a message. I mean, I'm a guy with a podcast. I feel I have a message. But, you know, I think when we focus, though, on the message and the distribution of that message via the platform, we simply end up in a competition to be the loudest person in the room, to say the most inflammatory thing, And just act like all the idiots that we see on cable news and Twitter all day. Am I right? We we prefer not to try to get that our information that way, even though that's sometimes where we end up. But I think if we have to if we had to to say what our preference is, would we rather get some information from somebody we know versus somebody that's just randomly standing on a street corner shouting things? Nine times out of ten, we're going to 
default with the relationship, the, the people we know, the people that we care about and the people that care about us. Unfortunately, though, I think we live in a society where we've kind of had a breakdown of relationships. And many of our relationships are often short and superficial and they're not built on much. And as a result of not having these relationships in place, we turn to the Twitterverse, we turn to cable news, we turn to random platforms like uh, podcasts such as this <laughs> to get people to tell us things that we think we want to know or hear about. But if we had the choice, we'd rather get the information that's important to us from the people that are important to us. But because we don't, because these relationships often don't exist or are very superficial at best, we've become a society and a culture that is absolutely captivated on platform. And so we do everything we can to build a bigger and bigger platform. We do this in church. We do this in politics. We do this with podcasts and, and things on social media. We, we do this all over the place. We do this with Super Bowl commercials every year. We, the brands that have no branding whatsoever are trying to get your attention will spend millions upon millions of dollars to get a 30-second bit on a Super Bowl ad in hopes that they can somehow make an ad clever enough to connect with a random viewer who just happens to be watching. And usually that means being able to connect to a viewer in a very heartfelt way through, through something very funny or something very emotional. And dramatic. And those are the ads we remember the most, and those are the people that often we decide, hey, I'm going to do business with that company that ran that advertisement. But when it comes to the unsolicited email or the person trying to sell us an extended warranty for our auto insurance or for our cars on our, our, our cell phone when we just randomly get a text message or a phone call, <laughs> how does that work out for you? Those people are just trying to hit you up by the numbers. They're just trying to, you know, hope that if they can just get the one out of a thousand, then it will have been worth their time. But instead of merely making it a numbers game and saying, well, if I can just get the one out of a thousand, what happens if we took a different approach? I mean, heck, look at doctors. We, we all want knowledgeable doctors. I've yet to go to a doctor that didn't have a PhD associated with their name. <laughs> I want my doctor to show up in a white lab coat with a clipboard or an iPad and some, and some gear and some x-rays and some things dangling around his neck and, and all that fun stuff. I want to know my doctor, doctor's competent and he's been to medical school. But as somebody who has been in the hospital once for five days, I can't tell you about how important it was for me as an individual to receive treatment from doctors and nurses who had good bedside manner. Because at the end of the day, if they had terrible bedside manner, I usually didn't care too much about how they knew or how they were going to treat me. I wanted to know that I was in the hands of somebody who really cared for me as an individual. And as I look back at the time I was in the hospital for about a week a couple of years ago, I sit there and think about fondly about the, the nurses and doctors who really did seem like they tried to take care to me, to relate the best they could to me as they cared to 
my needs. That's at the end of the day why we don't usually trust door-to-door salesmen or street preachers or the people who randomly call us on the phones. That's not to say that there's not room for any such of activity in the world and marketing schemes such as these or, you know, for door-to-door salesmen or street preachers. Heck, I've done my share of door knocking in the day once upon a time. And for those of you who didn't know, I've uh, even done some street preaching and, and I haven't ruled out doing some street preaching in the future. I think there's definitely a place for street evangelism or knocking on doors and inviting people to church that you don't know and, and you know, just blanketing an area with, uh, hey, I want to sell you a roof or, hey, I just opened up a shop or, you know, this, that, or the other, come out. You know, hey, I'm a politician running for office. Please vote for me. I think, I think there, is a, there is a place for that. Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not entirely discounting the place of platform and its significance and, you know, why there is, you know, sometimes a legitimate place for those sort of activities. But instinctively, as people and in our culture, I believe we've largely rejected such methods of getting a message out. We just don't trust people that we don't know. <laughs> right? So why would I want to give you my hard-earned dollars? Or why would I want to give you my time and attention if I don't have any sort of relationship with you? You know, I often think of some of the preachers in some of these churches who you know, maybe don't have much of an audience at their church. Maybe they're running a little less than 100 people. And don't get me wrong, I am in no way knocking small churches or churches that have uh, less than 100 people. There's a lot of beautiful churches and small churches out there that do amazing things for God. And they may not be packing in the pews every week, but they're doing what they can faithfully with the people that they have and connecting in a really meaningful way. But I've also seen the type of preacher, and I, and I know some of them because I went to Bible college with some of them, who go to church and they preach a message and then they go on Facebook after they get out of church and lament about how small the crowd was and why you all need to come to church so you can listen to them preach. Such individuals are individuals that have a platform, but I don't know that they're necessarily relating to people so well. Because if they were they probably wouldn't be getting on Facebook or Twitter and saying, hey, y'all, why didn't you come listen to me preach? Didn't you know the house of God was open today and I'm the super anointed preacher of the hour who has this wonderful message from God that's going to bless your life and touch you and make you wonderful? (laughs) You know, of course, I wouldn't go to such a church either if that's what my preacher were doing. Maybe some of you, some of you might be doing that. And I'm not here to judge Well, maybe a little bit. (laughs) Who am I kidding, right? But, you know, brother, sister, preacher so-and-so, whoever you are, you know, maybe instead of like just focusing on the platform and, and the message you have and how wonderful it is, maybe focus on how wonderful the people that you have in your life are and seek to build a relationship with them. And maybe, maybe, just maybe they'll give you some attention. Maybe they'll show up to your platform. Because at the end of the day, who's got ear for an unsolicited advertising, such as the robocaller, or somebody standing on a street corner with an in-your-face message? We ignore most advertising, spam emails, robocallers, extended car warranty people, and street preachers for a reason. There's a reason for that. 
And that's simply because at the end of the day, it's very simple. We want to do business with people we know, right? People that we trust. That's why usually if uh, you find out, hey, there's something around my house that needs some repair, and I have no idea how to repair it, and I just can't figure it out on YouTube, that's why we then start reaching out to people and asking for personal recommendations before we do things like turn to the Yellow Pages or Google. And if you've noticed, by the way, Yellow Pages, they're almost non-existent these days. And part of that, I think, is, of course, Things like Google have definitely put things like Yellow Pages out. I mean, who has a copy of the Yellow Pages? Anytime I get one, I just save it aside so that I can use the free paper for kindling on the next fire pit uh, I start. <laughs> I mean, that's, why, that's the only reason to use the Yellow Pages these days. But ultimately, we all want a guy. We all want someone in our life that we can turn to who's, quote-unquote, got a guy for that. You know, I remember my uh, ex-father-in-law. He's a very well-connected individual because of the nature of the business he runs. He run, he's uh, part of a business, and he's like the operations director at this place. And as a result of being the operations director at this business, he often has to freelance out a lot of things that just are outside of his ability to do or the people that he already has on staff to do. So he's always got a guy for that. And one thing I found out about that <laughs> is that's a good thing because... Anytime there was something around the house that I needed done that I wasn't able to do, that YouTube wasn't able to teach me to do, or that maybe my father-in-law or my father couldn't even help me do at the time, or they were just too busy, or they, weren't, they didn't have that particular set of skills, um, or just be too involved, or, or what have you, I always turn to the guy who has a guy for that. Because I trust the guy who has a guy for that, that, hey, if he's got a guy for that, then that guy can be my guy too. Um, and that's how we do business and that's how we do life. That's why, you know, I've seen in uh, recent years, there's been some job situations I've faced where even though I'm not a manager at any of the places I work at, um, you know, I've helped a handful of people at my past company and even my present company who've gotten hired simply because I was able to tell my manager something good about that individual when asked and to give them a personal strong reference. And yeah, that person would be great on our team. And because I had a relationship with my manager who trusted my work, they saw the good quality of work that I did every day and all that sort of stuff, since they trusted me as an individual, came to trust my judgment as a professional, they, nine times out of ten, would hire the person I recommended. Because at the end of the day, we're relationship machines, even in the business world. We want to do business with people we know. And sometimes that can lead to some bad things. Don't get me wrong. Things like nepotism are real. And sometimes nepotism can be the downfall of a good business or a good church or, or what have you. You know, sometimes maybe we do need to uh, create some professional distance from ourselves and the people we hire. But it still shows at the end of the day that we're still relationship-driven individuals. We want to do business with people that we know, people that we have a connection to, people that we feel like we can sit down at a table and have a dinner with. You know, maybe that's also why 
over the years, one of the, the things presidential candidates often try to do when they're running for the United States presidency or Senate or Congress or whatever, is they all try to give this kind of, I'm the guy you can have a beer with sort of vibe. Um, and I think this is what helped uh, President George Bush get elected twice is because whether you liked Bush's policy decisions or not, there's not very many people alive that couldn't see themselves kicking it back at the bar and drinking some suds with George W. Bush. But when it came to somebody like Elizabeth Warren trying to run for president, she would do these live streams of where she was sitting in her kitchen drinking a beer and looking awkward as whatever. And people were sitting there saying, you know, I may or may not like uh, her policies, but I definitely wouldn't drink a beer with Elizabeth Warren because that looked weird. <laughs> and people weren't able to relate to her because there was just something unrelatable about an Elizabeth Warren type. That's not to say she hasn't been very good at, you know, networking to some degree and having personal relationships that she's leveraged for political gain and been able to, as a result, be a uh, many-time elected senator. She, she's definitely excelled in that. But when it came for running to be president of the United States, people looked at Elizabeth Warren and were just like, mm, she seems more like a school hall monitor. <laughs> asking if you have your bathroom pass then somebody I would like to drink a beer with. And, and maybe she should be a watchdog over some financial institutions or something, but uh, I don't know about her being the, the uh, leader of the free world. That just, that just doesn't click with me. <laughs> so because of that, I think to some degree, that's why Elizabeth Warren uh, didn't become president of the United States. And, and that's why Joe Biden, you know, for all his faults, uh, you know, was somebody that somebody looked at and said, you know, yeah, I could have a drink with Uncle Joe. He seems like, you know, a nice guy. And he definitely seems maybe a little bit nicer than that Trump guy over there. But I might have a beer with him, too. <laughs> uh, politics. But uh, anyway, I digress. Don't want to get lost on politics because that's not really my expert thing. But I'm just telling you how I kind of see it. Hope you've enjoyed that little uh, sidebar. But, you know, I often think about this stuff and when we get into the realm of politics or when we get into the realm of a lot of different things uh, in our culture, we, we, we give voice and platform to people so they can have a message and something to say. And there's definitely a place for a platform. But I think that's also why there's a dread that we experience in our culture when it comes to deplatforming people through cancel culture. Because we've become so focused on the platform, that if somebody gets a platform big enough and says something we don't like, then we can simply gang up with all our friends and family and viciously attack them and lead a crusade against them and put pressure on whatever organization supports them and gives them their platform. If we put enough pressure on them, then we can make them go away and they won't have a platform any, any, anymore and they won't be able to get out their message. And we think, ha ha! I've won. All I have to do is get this person canceled and the message just goes away. And sometimes that's the case. And I think that's the case, especially though, for people who largely rely on a platform, however, to get their message out. So no wonder so many influencers out there in this world, cultural influencers, are undoubtedly fearful. They're undoubtedly fearful of the cancel culture. 
because they don't want to be deplatformed because they realize without the platform, I don't have anything. So they kick up all sorts of anger and angst all over getting banned on Twitter or Facebook or getting kicked off this and that other sort of platform and not having a place to get their message out. Because instead of focusing on relationships and community and building a bigger table, they focus on the scaffolding to get their message out. And when you focus on the scaffolding and, and building the platform instead of building the relationships, then cancel culture can mess up your message awfully big. Because you can always become a victim to those who can be canceled simply by removing the scaffolding from underneath their feet and leaving them hanging out to dry. But when you focus on relationships, it's a lot harder to undo relationships. My message today is simple on this podcast. Instead of trying to focus on building a bigger platform, maybe we simply need to focus on building a bigger and better table. You know, I think back to the early days of my podcast almost three years ago. I initially tried to buy listeners. <laughs> Spent a couple hundred dollars in advertising revenue on Facebook and other places to try to get people to click on the headlines after paying dollars because Facebook was guaranteeing a certain click-through rate. And if I just gave them money, they would drive people to my platform. Or I'd focus on trying to game Google and the SEO optimization stuff so that I can appear higher in the search engine results and all that sort of fun stuff. Because if you don't land on the first pace, if you don't land on the first page on Google, you might as well not even exist on the internet, right? <laughs> and you know, doing things like that I found sometimes moved the needle for an episode or two when it came to the stats of how many downloads I would have on any given episode. And you know, that's where I've kind of lingered for a while. And I've always had some sort of listenership and people who regularly tuned in all over the country and even all over the world who have, you know, somehow had a little bit of relationship with me and liked what I had to say or they, you know, they started interacting with me on Twitter or Facebook and they're like, oh, you have a podcast, I'll give it a listen. You know, and there, there are some people that, that have discovered this podcast at jimmystable.com that way. But you know, in recent months, that's changed. In the last six months, I'm not trying to brag or anything, so I'm just trying to share just for illustration purposes. But in the last six months of this podcast at jimmystable.com, my audience on this podcast has doubled. And it keeps going up almost every week. And it's not gotten bigger, I believe. And this is just my theoretical opinion. I, I'm not an expert in these things. But this is, this is my conjecture. I don't believe my audience and reach has gotten bigger, that my platform has gotten bigger. Simply because my advertising dollars finally paid off or because Google suddenly fell in love with me. <laughs> I've stopped paying for advertising, and even though I try to remain sensitive to Google, you know, fingers crossed, at the end of the day, 
I know those are a great way to, to really grow an audience. My stats in the past six months have doubled, according to my theory. Mostly because I think that after consistently showing up and doing this podcast for as long as I've done it, and having experienced some pretty personal stuff in my life that I decided to make public six months ago, I think that people finally started listening because they cared about me as a person and thought, hey, maybe Jimmy has something to say. Maybe this guy is worth listening to. Maybe he is something of substance. Maybe I should occasionally tune in because, you know, he shares his heart. He dispenses his wonderful wisdom so eloquently and beautifully. (laughs) But he's somebody that I can relate to. He sometimes says something funny. And and he doesn't sing as much as he used to on this podcast, so I can tolerate that. But, you know, don't tempt me. (laughs) Maybe I'll bring back the singing. I don't know. Maybe that's a future podcast, me singing. (laughs) But no. There's something about me that people were able to relate to. And as a result, I've gone from having about, on average, about 30 downloads per episode per week. So now I'm clocking about 60 to 70 people an episode. And I know that's not a lot of people. Still not a lot of people. (laughs) 60, 70 people in a world of, you know, what, 7 billion people now? But as I looked at my stats recently, I noticed something. I've had thousands of downloads over the past three years, but I've noticed something that of those thousands of downloads that I've had, about 20 some odd percent of those downloads were from right here where I live in the Charlotte area. Of course, that means 80% of my podcast is listened to by people outside of Charlotte. So there's a lot of people who are listening to me that have never personally met me. Or very few outside that because I've lived in Charlotte area for 30 some odd years and this is where I've been reared most of my life. But it tells me something that The people I know, the people that care about me, people that I have a relationship with, they're the most concentrated group of individuals that care to listen to me. And yes, I have people who listen to me all across the country and even across the world. I think last I checked, this podcast has been downloaded in like 70 some countries and it's been downloaded in every state in the United States except Wyoming. (laughs) <laughs> but guess what? There's not very many people in Wyoming. I don't know anybody in Wyoming, and I don't know if you know anybody in Wyoming, so it doesn't come as a shock to me that nobody in Wyoming listens to this podcast. But hey, if you know somebody in Wyoming, email them this podcast, jimmystable.com, and say, hey, listen to Jimmy. <laughs> but you know, it, it's got me to thinking, though, that most people that care about me, who respect me, who honor me as an individual, who've seen the type of life that I've lived, who've seen me in my good moments and my bad moments and my comings and goings and my ups and downs and my moments of despair and my moments of joy. Those are the people I resonate with most consistently and most because they know me. They, they give me an audience because something about them loves me. They they found me to be a trustworthy person, and chances are, at some point, 
they've probably sat down across from a table with me, or they've been in my home and had some of my cooking, drank a beer with me, drank a cup of coffee with me, or I've connected with them in some way, at some level, gone to school with them or whatever, grew up with me, neighbors with me, people in church I go to church with. You know, they've, they've seen me in my life or know somebody who has, and they've been willing to listen. And you know, that's ultimately what this entire podcast, jimmystable.com, is all about. And I, when, I, when I named this podcast three years ago, I deliberately chose the name Jimmy's Table. And I chose it because I remember growing up that the center of the house that I lived in was not the living room and the TV, but it was the kitchen table. It was the kitchen table that reminds me of the most warm memories that I had growing up. My mom and dad were always cooking, always putting these great meals on the table for us. We had so many conversations over the years at that table. We had guests in our home frequently growing up. Sometimes we would entertain people that were complete strangers to me, but somehow my parents knew. And if my parents knew them, they wanted to sit them down at the table and eat with them. And that, that was formative for me. And I think it's, it's ultimately why we are willing to listen to people. And that's why people are willing, maybe even to some degree, and the modest audience that I have, the small audience I have, willing to listen to me because something about Jimmy's table, a place where we can have a conversation, a place where we can break bread together, a place where we can share. And if, if we were to look at our churches, our businesses, our ministries, and, and all the things that we are trying to do out there in this world to try to change the world, to make the world a better place, I can't help but wonder how much better the world would be is if instead of trying to focus on building a bigger platform, we simply look to build a bigger and better table and to invite people to come sit down with us, dine, to enjoy, to share words of wisdom and comfort, maybe even words of anger, <laughs> but to be relatable to individuals. And I think if we focus on that, then we don't have to necessarily focus on building the bigger platform. It's not to say there's not a place for platform. There certainly is. I've talked about that previously. But I think there's a, even a better place for a table. And I think if you were to study the Gospels and look at them and study the book of Acts and, and the writings of the apostles, you discover that there were times Jesus had platform and the platform got yanked from him. There was one time he was preaching at a synagogue and they so hated what Jesus had to say that they, want, they ran him out of the synagogue and wanted to throw him off a cliff. And they eventually got to the point where they crucified Jesus. But between wanting to throw Jesus off a cliff and crucifying him in an attempt to cancel his message, in an attempt to remove the platform, Jesus kept building his ministry in the kingdom of God. And he did that by being a relatable individual who showed that he cared for people as a shepherd, somebody with a heart who broke for people and understood where they were at and met them where they were at. And because he did so much of his ministry over a table, 
while simply breaking bread and having drink with other individuals. As a result, no matter how many times the Pharisees and Sadducees tried to cancel Jesus, Jesus always had a door of opportunity open for him because there was always somebody who was willing to invite him into their house to share a meal with him and to hear what he had to say. So whether we're talking about Jesus, whether we're talking about the church, whether we're talking about ministry, whether we're talking about our jobs or our businesses, our political angle or, you know, whatever other thing we might have to share with this world, whatever gift we have to offer to this world, let's focus instead of on the platform, building relationships, sitting across a table from one another. Because I think if we do that, platforms will just naturally pop up. People will just want to hear what we have to say. Because as I said at the beginning of the podcast, the, the quote that I opened with, people don't usually care about how much you know until they know how much you care. So if you have something you feel like you really want to say or something you want to get out there in this world, make a dent with, instead of cold calling people trying to sell them the insurance for the extended warranty on their car, or standing on a street corner, or building a, beggar, a builder, building a bigger platform, build a bigger and better table. So everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com, episode 137, build a bigger table, not a platform. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I'd encourage you to email me, jimmy at jimmystable.com. Or if you've yet to subscribe to this podcast, you can go to jimmystable.com slash subscribe and find out your favorite way to subscribe. You can do that by subscribing through Apple, Spotify, Google, SoundCloud, and all the million other type of podcast platforms there are to subscribe through. Or you could just enter your email address and get a weekly email notification that'll let you know when the latest episode has dropped. And if you've not had an opportunity to do so yet, I'd encourage you to go to Apple or Spotify or however you listen to this podcast. Leave your glowing five-star honest review so that people that don't even know you will sit there and read your magnificent words and say, yes, this is the podcast that I've been looking for, Jimmy's Table. Maybe because you wrote it in such a relatable way, people are going to resonate with what you wrote they're going to listen to this platform on this podcast. <laughs> I, hope I, I hope you understand I'm having some fun with that, right? <laughs> so everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, jimmystable.com, where I'm having conversations about the intersection of faith, life, and culture. Take care, everyone. God bless, and have a good one. That's all I have to say about that. That's the right on, man. You said it all.